Right, all right. Find a seat. How's everybody doing tonight? Are we good? You can turn my mic down just, to, just like a little bit. That'd be perfect, perfect. Um, one more time. How's everybody doing tonight? We good? Love that. Well, listen, uh, before I get started, I just want to hit you with something really fast, and then I'm going to move on. Uh, this summer, we don't have view. Uh, it won't be a regular service, but that doesn't mean that we're going away. We're going to be doing groups. We're going to be doing summer groups. But also, there's something super special uh, that I feel like is not for everybody, um, but it's for anyone. And what I mean by that is you may not be able to commit to this, but if you can, I promise you, this program is going to change your life. It's called Heart and Soul. And basically what, what you do is you pay a fee um, and you say, I'm going to be here on these days, this time of the, uh, of the week. And it's really not that difficult. It's Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6 to 8. But what we do inside of the program is me and my wife personally at our house disciple you, help you get your soul healthy, and then show you how to lead spiritually. It's a six-week six program that ends with us going to Nashville uh, and doing a huge outreach. And your, your tuition is going to cover all of it, your T-shirt, your trip, all of it. All you have to do is block out your Tuesday, Thursday from 6 to 8 o'clock, uh, and we'll teach you, we'll, we'll, we'll build you during that time, but also you have to help serve on a Sunday morning, which you should be at anyway, okay? You better wake up, okay? Um, so if you're interested in that, be back here next week. We're starting sign-ups next week. So if you're interested in it, you feel like it's something that God is putting on your heart, check that out. I promise you, you won't regret it. Sounds good? Awesome. Well, listen, tonight we are in week four of Dream Killers. We're going to close out this series uh, tonight. Um, and it's been awesome so far. We've had uh, Danny come in and be a guest speaker, and he was incredible. Uh, last week, I feel like God really moved on some hearts. And tonight, I want to kind of tie a bow on this idea of the things that kill dreams the fastest. So if you're taking notes, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37, and then we'll skip really quick to 41. But let's start in Genesis chapter 37. So this entire time we've been talking about this guy named Joseph. Um, and if you don't know him, ladies, you might. Uh, he's the, the, the subject of the play uh, on Broadway, Joseph and the uh, Technicolor Dream or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't forgot what it was called. Um, but it was loosely based on this guy. He's the guy in the Bible that got the, the coat that was so many different colors from his dad and everybody knew he was the favorite. This is the same Joseph that we're talking about. Now, I, I want to do something really quick because I'm going to skip to the beginning of the story just in case you haven't been here all the four weeks, but also it's going to tie in really well with my message here in a second. I'm going to read this part of the scripture because I think it's important that you understand and know Joseph's dream. The whole idea of this series is called Dream Killers, so you need to know Joseph's dream if we're ever going to find out why it wasn't killed. Here was his dream. The Bible says in verse 5, then Joseph had a dream. Hashtag MLK. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to the stream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf rose up, rose up, and it stood upright. While your sheaves of grain gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So basically what he said was, I had this dream where I knew I was the, the best looking grain out there, and your, you guys' grain weren't that, wasn't that good. And in my dream, I was up tall and your 
cranes were bowing down to me. I don't really know what it means, but it probably means that I'm better than you. His brothers obviously got upset. We know through the story of this series that they sold him into slavery, wanted nothing to do with him because he shared his dream. Now let's skip to the end of Joseph's story, sort of, uh, but this part of the story that we're about to pick up in, Joseph's dream uh, almost is finally realized. This is when he's out of prison, he gets out of slavery, uh, and, and all of a sudden some incredible circumstances happen because he starts interpreting dreams and starts speaking to royalty, and this is the following events that happen. Then Pharaoh said to his servants in verse 38, 41, Verse 38. And Pharaoh basically was the king of all Egypt. He was over, and at the time, Egypt was the most powerful empire in all of the world. So this is the most powerful man on the planet talking to Joseph. This is what he says. He says, then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So that, that word divine means spiritual or, or a godly spirit. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, now this, this is what's crazy. Pharaoh is not a believer. Joseph is a believer like we are. Joseph was a Christian, but Pharaoh was not. So Pharaoh's recognizing the God in a man, even though he doesn't have a God in himself. I wonder how many lost people recognize the God in us, even if they don't have a God in them. Okay? I'll let you chew on that one. Then, then Pharaoh said, uh, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all of my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Basically, you're my Kyrie, I'm LeBron. Uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set, you all over, I've set you over all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, which was important. Then he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in the second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all of the land of Egypt. So basically all that's happened is Joseph is now the second most powerful man in all of the world. This is the same dude with the, with the dream and the jacket that got sold into slavery, beat up, then thrown in prison for something he didn't even do. And now all of a sudden he's royalty. His dream has finally come true, or so we think. Tonight I want to talk to you, if you're taking notes, from the title of No Fuel. No Fuel. We've talked about these things that kill dreams the fastest. Tonight, we're talking about how a dream without any fuel, an empty dream, is what kills dreams the fastest. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for who you are. We ask you that in this moment, you begin to soften hearts, prepare people uh, to understand this word that is from you. Father, don't let it be me. You speak. and You show somebody where in their life they need to inject the Holy Spirit. God, we love you so much, and I pray that the dreams in this house begin to line up with your vision for every single person's life who's in this room. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, be acceptable in your sight. And everybody said, amen, amen. Listen, um, my wife's not here tonight. She's uh, on a trip. Uh, and by the way, somebody asked me the other day why all of my sermon stories have to do with my wife. Uh, that's a dumb question, Okay. <laughs> Because we live together, you know, like she teaches me a lot. But uh, my wife's not here today. She's in Atlanta. And I think that's why I'm going to tell this story because <laughs> I can't get in trouble. Wait, this is podcasting. Okay. All right. Sorry, baby. In advance, you're going to hear this. I'm so sorry. Um, 
but uh, I love fashion. And, and even in most relationships, it's like the girl uh, buys stuff for the guy, which my wife does buy stuff for me from time, time and time again, and she picks out my outfits sometimes. Uh, but I also do the same for her. Like, I genuinely enjoy buying my wife a new dress. I know it's kind of weird. I love buying her clothes. I'm like, baby, this will look good on you. Boom, that will look good on you, baby. Oh, you will look bad in these new kicks. I don't know why. I just really enjoy shopping for my wife. Uh, and, and here, I think it was like three weeks ago, uh, my wife, uh, she'd been rocking these Adidas superstars. Anybody, any ladies in the house like to rock those Adidas superstars? You know what I'm talking about. It, don't be ashamed. They're good shoes. Uh, but not the way my wife wore them. So my wife's tough on shoes. Like, I'm talking about, like, Bigfoot tough. Like, she throws those things in the dirt. I mean, she, when she watching, pow, pow. It's crazy. Uh, she, and she had been wearing them for like a year and a half. And what was once a pair of all-white Adidas superstars now look like two car wash towels. Like, I didn't understand how she could get them so dirty uh, in only a year, but they were bad. And it was to the point where I was like, baby, you really got to stop wearing those, okay? And she, here's the thing you got to know about my wife. She's super stylish, but however stylish she is does not compare to how frugal she is, okay? <laughs> Lady balls on a budget, I'm telling you, and keeps me on a budget too. I get it. Um, but she was like, I can't buy any new shoes. I got to keep wearing the superstars because they're comfortable. And we're on a budget, Jared. No new shoes. That goes for you, too. And I was like, man, golly, I, I did kind of want a pair of new kicks. But it is what it is. So finally, a couple weeks pass, and, and, and I get so fed up with her car wash Adidas superstars that I go to Dillard's, uh, make one of my buddies come with me. We go to Dillard's and pick my wife out some brand new sneakers on sale balling on a budget. So she didn't have to wear the Adidas Superstars anymore. Here's the thing you got to know about my wife. She does like to ball on a budget, but she likes gifts more. Uh, so when I got home, I showed her the dealer's box, and she went, oh, my gosh, you didn't have to. I love you. And I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> and it was good uh, because she didn't have to wear and those Adidas Superstars anymore. And then I threw one of them to my dog and was like, I guess we'll have to throw them away, baby. He chewed them up. I, I don't know what to do. Um, so the shoes are gone. She's got new shoes on. Well, while I'm buying these shoes, I had this brilliant thought in my head. Love is best displayed when it's reciprocated. I had that thought. I was like, you know what? Love is best. Don't write that down. That's not biblical. Um, <laughs> what I was basically thinking in my head was, Love is better when you get it back, which is not true. So I was like, maybe if I buy her these new shoes, she'll hook a brother up with some new kicks. Okay, perfect. So I go home, get my wife's shoes, and then I start, like, like mistexting her on purpose. I, like, send her a link to see some new shoes that I want, and she's like, what's this, question mark? And I was like, oh, my bad. I meant to send that to somebody else. I was just showing one of my buddies how much I really like these new shoes. You don't even have to look at them. Uh, oh, that second link, that was the same thing. I didn't mean to send you those. I'm so sorry, baby. Didn't mean to do that. This goes on for about a week uh, or so, and eventually I just get fed up with the, the subtleness of it, and I just go flat out. I'm like, baby, why haven't you bought me one of these pairs of shoes yet? She said, I'm, baby, we're on a budget, okay? We're, we're on a budget. And I was like, we wasn't on a budget when I bought you them shoes from Dillard's. She was like, well, that, that was on you. You did that. That was your choice. I'm not going to break the budget. I'm so sorry, baby. We have to be better with our money. And of course, I'm upset because everything that she says makes sense, but I'm still wearing some busted shoes, and, and I don't have anything else that's new. Um, but, but I thought about something in, in that scenario because I don't know about you guys, but I do this a lot. 
Like, like I, I make a decision that's seemingly good, but the motives behind it are like, I don't know. It may not line up all the way. I mean, I might kind of mean well, but really my motives are a little bit different. Quick question. Have you ever met somebody that says stuff like, uh, when I get older, I want to be rich? And when you ask them why, they say, so I can give a lot. Have you ever met somebody like that? It's like, no, you want to be rich so you can get a new car. Like, they're like, I really want to be rich so I can just, like, give because people need stuff. So I want to be rich so I can give. I was like, why don't you just give now? You know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. Or have you ever met somebody that's like, man, I want to go to the club, but not for the reasons you think. I want to, like, witness to people, okay, you know? <laughs> you, know you know anybody like that? Or like, or, like, this is my favorite. Man, I just feel like I, I just need God to, like, increase my Instagram presence. Uh, but not, so, not for me. Like, not for me. I, I just really want to, like, share Jesus a little bit more to, like, more people. You know what I mean? Like, if God gave me this, like, huge platform, I would, of course, like, tell people about Jesus. Have you met anybody like that before? It's like, man, yeah, that kind of sounds good, but at the same time, I don't know if I trust your motives 100%. When it comes to dreams, I feel like a lot of times us as young people, we fall into this trap. We fall into this same trap. And the trap we fall into is that oftentimes we get stuck attaching a moral motive to a selfish dream. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're attaching a moral motive to a dream that, that's so in incredibly selfish? Hear me tonight, young people. God's not concerned with your bank account, your Instagram influence, your brand, your achievements, your accolades. God's concerned with the condition of your heart. He's not concerned by the things you accomplish here in this life. He's not impressed because you do this or you do that. God is concerned with the condition of your heart. And trust me, nothing, not nothing, but there's not a lot of things that are going to corrupt the condition of your heart faster than an empty dream. There's not too many things that will corrupt your heart faster than a dream that doesn't have any fuel. And yes, God wants you to, to have this incredible dream, this unique plan, this unique purpose, this really, really great destiny. He wants you to accomplish something incredible. But at the same time, what God really needs you to do is to understand the difference between an empty dream and a God dream. God wants you to, to, to have this abundant life, to live this life where you're, you're, you're doing the thing you feel like you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the thing that you're called and purposed to do. But here's what he really needs you to do first. He needs you to begin to comprehend and understand the difference between an empty dream, a regular dream, somebody else's dream, a world dream, and a God dream. Because trust me, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real really quick, and I may get some flack for this a little bit later, but I don't care. Uh, I switch hobbies a lot, and if you know me, you know this is true. I have a set of golf clubs. I have a, a motorcycle. I go to the gym. I, like, I try everything except Fortnite. Like, literally, I try just about any hobby, you name it, I've tried it. And while most people think I just, like, randomly choose my hobbies, uh, or, or it's because of something I saw on Instagram or something I saw on TV. It's not true. My process is way more scientific. The way I choose a new hobby is I try just about every hobby 
and whichever one I happen to be good at on the first try is the one I stick with for now. Like, that's how I do it. That's 100%. I don't like hobbies that I have to, like, be bad at for a little bit uh, and, and then get good later. I like hobbies that if I try it, I feel like I'm naturally gifted at it. Golf, it happened like that. First swing I ever took was beautiful. I mean, I just, I was like, I'm an athlete. This is great. And as soon as I hit that one, I, like, posted it on Instagram, put it on my story, let everybody know. I shot out a group text. I shared it on Facebook twice. I let everybody know. I'm into golf now, okay? Boom. My left arm stayed straight. I mean, I was killing it. I didn't have to mention that right after that, I shot like 146. Um, but, but like the first swing was solid, I'm telling you, okay? But I do that. I, 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 I start a new hobby, and, and immediately after I succeed, I'll know to stick with that hobby. But, but even more than that, I look for somebody else to notice. I posted, I shared, I let everybody know. I want you to hear me. I'm good at golf. And I feel like a lot of times, this is how we operate when it comes to dreams. We switch dreams so often, and we just kind of try them until one of them sticks, right? And, and if we get really, really good at this dream at first, we're like, oh, this must be exactly what God has called me to do. Never mind that I literally just got it because my friend said I'd be good at it. But this is what God has called me to do. This is perfect. I got it. I know what I'm going to be for my life. When we get these dreams based on secondhand experiences or, or, or because somebody else suggested that we should do this, or do that, but we don't really understand what goes into it, and we switch dreams, and as soon as we become successful at, at a little piece of the dream, we want everybody to know. We want to share. We want to tell everybody about what's happening in our life right now, and the reason why is this. It's because we desire applause over affirmation. We desire applause over affirmation, and that's one of the quickest telltale signs of a dream being empty, not being a God dream. What's the difference? Applause can only come from people. Applause is something you get from an audience, not participators. Applause is something that happens when you do something well and, and everybody wants to let you know you're doing good. Good job. Way to go. Here's a difference. Affirmation can't come from other people. Affirmation can't come from man. Affirmation only comes from the Holy Spirit. In the context we're talking about, Affirmation doesn't come from somebody else patting you on the back. Affirmation comes from the Holy Spirit. Only God can give you affirmation, and only people can give you applause. Which one are you looking for? Are you looking for somebody to say, hey, man, you're so good at filling the blank? Or are you looking for God to say, you're on the right track? Here's the difference. Here's the difference. And there's a huge difference between both of them. If we go and look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 through 3, really quick, I'm just going to bring you back there. We talked about this early on in the story. This is what it said, and we're talking about Joseph here. It says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused everything that he did to prosper in his hands. The Lord caused everything that he did to prosper in his hands. Why is that affirmation? Because here's the truth about Joseph's situation at that time. He was a slave. Joseph was a slave. It called him a successful man, but the truth is he belonged to another man. He was a slave. In the definition of the world, being a slave is one of the smallest things you could ever be. But God still blessed Joseph, even in the small situations. 
Joseph was faithful in every step of his life. And even in the small situations, God began to, to bless it and say, you're on the right track. Why is that affirmation? Because when God begins to bless the small things in your life, you know you're ready to take on something new. So how does that look practically in your life? Well, what about your small group? What about your small group? Did it just fizzle out? Did you just kind of stop going after a while and it just kind of got a little bit boring and you, you're like, I don't know if that's really for me. You're missing sight of the small things. How often are you in church trying to make the right decisions, trying to follow God, trying to seek his face? How often are you, are you trying to be in the right place? That's a small thing. That's a small thing. God wants to affirm you by showing you you're on the right track, but he can never do that if you're not faithful with the little things, your grades, affirmation that you're on the right track. Yeah, this test may be incredibly hard, but you put yourself to the task and you studied and you made a grade that you didn't believe could happen. Affirmation that you're on the right track. That little small voice that kind of pops up in your, in, in your spirit when you make a decision to follow integrity over ambition. Affirmation that you're on the right track. The second way you can kind of identify if your dream is a God dream or an empty dream is if you choose passion over purpose. If you choose passion over purpose. Once Joseph was promoted to this, this position of being second in command over the entire country of, of Egypt, he could have just sat back. Well, I didn't read this part of the scripture, but a little bit later it says that Pharaoh gave him a new wife. So Joseph had a new wife and a new life. He could have just kicked back and called it a day and was like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I was called to do. I'm, I'm right here exactly where God has me. Here's why most people confuse success with calling. It's not the same thing. Joseph understood that, that he had been in slavery. He had been in prison. It didn't matter. God was still with him. His attitude didn't change. His outlook didn't change. Joseph didn't take his foot off the gas once he got into the position that he got into. Why? Because Joseph wasn't concerned about what he was passionate about. He was concerned about what God had purposed him to do. Everywhere that Joseph went, if we look back in the story, he's a leader. In prison, he was a leader. In slavery, he was a leader. So most people would say, oh, well, Joseph's dream was to be a leader. Joseph's calling was to be a leader. Yeah, maybe. But that wasn't his purpose. What was his purpose? See, after Joseph was made second in command over all of Egypt, uh, the Lord came to him and said, hey, there's going to be a famine here pretty soon for se in seven years. I want you to prepare. Make a plan. You need to have enough food to last throughout the famine. So Joseph, as second in command, was finally in position to, to make things happen, and he started to save up because Egypt went through an incredible time of surplus as soon as he uh, became second in command. So God just blessed all of Egypt so much, so much, so much. And, uh, and Joseph kept putting away, putting away grain, putting away fruit, putting away grain, putting away fruit, saving for the famine. And everybody was like, what are you doing? And he's like, just wait, don't worry, just putting it away. And eventually the famine came, and Egypt stayed fine. Why? Because Joseph was concerned about his purpose, not his passion. What was his passion? His passion was to lead, but God used him in the end for his purpose, which was what? To feed. He thought his passion was to lead, but the truth is God's purpose for his life was to feed hundreds of thousands. It wasn't just to lead. It was to bring a nation that could have been destroyed 
and show them how to be frugal with their now to prepare for the future. And here's the other thing that's crazy. The, the, the people group that would eventually become the Jewish people and eventually would be descendants of Jesus, guess who they relied upon for this grain? Egypt. God used Joseph to save the line that will bring us our Savior. Because he didn't get focused on his passion. He always stayed committed to his purpose. Tonight I'm asking you, are you focused on your passion? What does that look like? That means I'm only focused on what I like to do. These are, these are the things that I'm good at. This is what I feel like I'm, I'm kind of made to do. I'm so focused on me right now, getting me better, doing the things that help me out. Purpose looks the total opposite. Purpose isn't about you. Purpose is how God can use you and your passion. Because passions aren't a bad thing, but they're not the focus. They're a tool to accomplish the purpose. You want to know how to tell if your dream is empty? Which one's more important? What you're good at or what God is going to use you for in the end? The last way you can kind of spot and understand it, the, the status of your dream, whether or not it's a God dream or whether or not it's an empty dream with no fuel, is when you crave influence over intimacy. When you crave influence over intimacy. Verse 41 and 31 says this. I love this scripture. We were just talking about this earlier. We said that Pharaoh did not know God, but he recognized God in Joseph. He says this. He says this. Check this out in verse Let's be, we'll be in verse 30, sorry, 39. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, stop. Since God has informed you of all of this, that's insane to me that somebody who has no connection to God can recognize when he's moving. Because of our culture, because of everything that's happening around us right now, we think our lives are built around our brand or what we can do, or, or our influence, or, or, or what, what we're being used for in our current situation. But the truth is, the, the truth of all of it is, is that influence is not bad in itself. It gets out of whack when you begin to crave influence over being close with God. Why? Because you start making decisions that help your influence instead of making decisions that bring you closer to God. What are you more concerned with? Who unfollowed you yesterday? Or who still doesn't know that you're a believer? Are you more concerned with your influence? Or are you more concerned with your intimacy with the Father? Listen to me tonight. Influence, success, none of it equals a dream come true. I don't care what the world tells you. None of it equals a dream come true. We got these, these big empty dreams based on this, this false perception of reality, reality that we got from some TV show or from, from somebody else who told us about this really cool experience. We've got these giant dreams that, that we're playing from somebody else's mouth when the truth is we're missing the one thing that we've needed the entire time, an encounter with God, an encounter with God. Dreams are always going to be empty unless they begin with an encounter with God. You want to know what the basis of something being a God dream is? God giving you the dream. 
You want to know what the foundation of a God dream is? God giving you the dream. That's what it means. God wants to give you something that's incredible. He wants to give you something that's unique. He wants to give you something that fits right in line with your passion and your purpose and the things that he's developed you and created you to do. But the truth is, God can't give you a dream if you've never met with him. We have to understand that every dream that ever mattered began with an encounter with God. It began with an encounter with God. A dream without fuel either equals empty success or devastating failure. But they never end with you receiving what God always had planned for you. Fulfillment. Let me say that again. Empty dreams, dreams with no fuel, either end with empty success. Yeah, you got the money. You picked the right career. You got a good job. You're solid. You're set. You got a beach house and a vacation car, and your spouse is doing well too, and y'all are putting money away all the time. Everything's good. But you hear all the time, famous people say, man, being famous isn't everything. Being rich isn't everything. It's not. It's not all it's, not all it's cracked up to be. Why? Because they're just as worse off as the people that don't have any money and that are broke and that are hopeless. Why? Both of them are empty. Both of them are empty. Empty dreams either end with raving, incredible, noteworthy, empty success or devastating failure, but there's never a difference between the two if it doesn't involve God. I'm here to tell you tonight, there's only one way God intended your dreams to end up. That's with you being fulfilled. And that has nothing to do with your bank account or your brand or your influence. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart. A dream is always going to be empty if it doesn't begin with an encounter with God. And tonight, you have the opportunity to make a decision to say, God, I want to begin my God dream tonight. I want an encounter with you. I've never had it before. I want an encounter with you. I love what Jesus says right before he goes to the cross. He knows he's about to have this horrible death, and he's praying, and he says, Father, if you can take this cup from me, take it. But listen, Lord, not my will, but yours. I love that passage of Scripture because what it signifies is total and complete surrender. Tonight, I wonder if some of us need to say, Lord, not my dreams, but yours. God, not, not what I want for my life, but what you want. Not my dreams, God, but yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed.